0: Okay, we've been going. If you're new, we've been going through the uh, Gospel of Mark almost all year long. Uh, it's, uh, we're up to chapter 12. There's 16 uh, chapters. And uh, we're going to divide up our study tonight into four sections. The first is verses 28 through 34, and that's on the Great Commandment. The second section is on verses 35 through 37. That's on the humanity and deity of Jesus Christ. Then number three, verses 38 through 40, is the condemnation of the scribes. The condemnation of the scribes. The Lord wasn't very happy with them at all. And then last of all, verses 41 through 44, a famous story called the widow's might or actually her two mites, as we'll see in the story here. So we're going to try to cover that this evening. All right. In verses 28 through 34, let's go back now. We see the great commandment. And I want you to notice verse 28 at the top. The Gospel of Mark, for those of you that are new, portrays Christ as a servant. Portrays him as many things, but that's the emphasis of this book, Christ the servant. Matthew, he's... Portrayed as Christ the what? Christ the king. Amen. Mark, Christ the servant. Luke, Christ the son of man, man. Okay, man, son of man. John, Christ the the Lord. Amen. Deity of Christ. So there's those themes there. And I don't think that was a coincidence either. It's four different pictures of Christ emphasized in the Gospels, plus a lot of other things. Verse 28, one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, asked Christ, which is the first commandment of all? Now let's stop there. In verse 38, skip down there, we're going to see that most of the scribes were very bad people. Verse 38, we'll get to this later, it says, And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces. But by the end of verse 40, he said, These shall receive greater damnation. So most of the scribes were bad, but not this one. Amen? Look at verse 28 again. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And let's skip to the end of this story, verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, That is this particular scribe, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. So not all scribes were bad, and uh, some were good, uh, most were bad. But it's just another example in the Bible where we cannot stereotype anybody uh, ever in any way, shape, or form. That's forbidden in the Scriptures to stereotype people. This was a good scribe. Now, what was a scribe? A scribe was a scribe. He was one who would take a quill and a parchment... And then letter by letter, he would write out the Old Testament. They did not have printing presses. They didn't have copy machines. Letter by letter. And as a result of doing that all of his life, he became an expert at the law. Because that's all he does all day is, is just reads the law. They weren't lawyers, but they were the closest thing to Lawyers. Uh, they were scribes, and man, when you read about how meticulous they were, it is amazing how much attention they gave to writing out the Word of God, making sure they didn 't make one single mistake. If they made one mistake on a piece of parchment, the whole document was destroyed, and they had to start over if you can imagine uh something like that um, you know when I write things i 'm constantly scribbling out here and there. <laughs> They weren't allowed to scribble things out. Uh, And as a result of paying such meticulous attention to the Word of God every day of their life, they were experts at the law. And so this scribe says to the Lord, now, as a Jew, he's writing out about 613, 614 laws, I believe the Jews say there are in the Old Testament. About 614 laws they believe God gave Israel through Moses. And so, one of the scribes came, and having heard him reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, that is the previous questions, he said, which is the first commandment of all? So I've been writing these things out all my life, there's 600 some, which one is the most important of them all? He's asked Jesus. Good question. Very good question. And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. So out of all 600 plus of them, Jesus said this is the most important one. This is number one that you and I should focus on in obeying. Now, wow, that's quite a law. If you pick that apart and try to live it one day of your life, you are in for a challenge to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind that's in your spirit, and then all your strength that's in your body. He's going inward-outward. All right, The heart is embedded in the soul, and the mind and the thoughts and the feelings are controlled by the spirit of a man, and then the strength is the physical. You're supposed to love God inside out. Inside out. And uh, it's quite a study on anthropology there in verse 30. So that's the great commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So Jesus answered the scribe. He was no idiot. But He was just trying to Uh, uh, find out, hey, I'm writing these things out every day. What's the most important? What's the most important thing I'm writing? And uh, probably uh, some of us would have liked eye for eye, tooth for tooth, or something like that, you know? (laughs) Knock someone's tooth out. He'd knock mine out. But no, it's these. These here. Now the first one is also called, it's called the first commandment here. In Matthew, I asked you to turn to chapter 22 and verse 36 through 8. There's another description of this. Master, what is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Notice Matthew's account adds the word great. Great. Uh, Mark says this is the first commandment. Matthew says this is the first and great commandment. It's the greatest commandment, that you and I love God, that we love God. I mean, if that's all you do, you have accomplished the greatest thing somebody can do in their life, to love God. And we've got to love Him His way. got to love Him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, some people say, well, I love God in my own way. No, 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 you love God His way. What he says. You obey this commandment the way he says, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All right, now we get down to the second one Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, verse 31. There is none other greater than these. And uh, this is called the Royal Law of the Scriptures by James. The royal law. It's called the second greatest, but it's also called the royal law. I don't have the text written down, but some of you can look it up and shout it out when you find it. But this is called the royal law. Why? Because it's the most noble thing. When we think of royalty, we think of nobility. It's the most noble thing you can do is serve your fellow man and not yourself. That's nobility. Uh, That's royalty. And that's what we are supposed to do. The second greatest commandment is, is serve your fellow man. Well, who is that? Anyone you cross paths with on this planet. So there you have it, the two greatest. Now, the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. So this is a good scribe. For there is one God... And there is none other but He. And to love Him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love His neighbor as Himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And there are a lot of laws ascribed in the Old Testament for the Jews for burnt offerings and sacrifices. A lot of them for a lot of reasons. A lot of sacrificing going on. But this scribe says, you know, to love God and to love your neighbor is, is is more than all of those sacrifices we bring and all of those burnt offerings. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, that means wisely or prudently, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. I mean, he is close. He is close to God's kingdom. He's close to heaven. He's close to being saved. And there's people like that. We studied Apollos recently here at the church. How close he was. He'd already taken the first step, the baptism of repentance, that is repentance towards God. All he needed to know was faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And Priscilla and Aquila taught that to him. And then he believed and became mighty in the Scriptures and in the early church convincing the Jews that Jesus was Christ. So there's people out there that are seeking. They're really close, some of them. And may God allow us to cross paths with some of them and just lead them a little bit farther. So It'll be interesting when we get to heaven if this guy was there, if he accepted the Lord, but he sure was close to understanding what God was all about. Not a bunch of rules and regulations, but loving Him and loving your fellow man. That's pretty much in a nutshell we can keep it simple, right? We can keep it simple. Uh, love God, love your fellow man, serve, your, serve God, serve your fellow man, and uh, be noble, be, be a king. After all, we are working in kingdoms, and we are kings and priests. All right, our second story is in verses 35 through 37, and uh, this is the story of Jesus now asking them a question. And Jesus, said, he had, if, you, if you're new, the last couple of chapters, they've just been grilling Jesus with questions. Just grilling Him. And He had all the answers. And may we aim to be like the Lord. We should have answers. The heart of the righteous studied the answer. We quote that often from the book of Proverbs. They have a right to ask questions. And we should be able to answer their questions. Not clam up say, I don't know, but give them an answer that would help them uh, know. Now, Jesus answered and taught them in the temple, verse 35, How say the scribes that Christ is the Son of David, Christ being the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Divine One that would come? Uh, How do they say that He's the Son of David? How do they say that He's human? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Well, we know as time went on that Jesus is the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. And David said, My Lord, or the Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies Thy footstool. David therefore calleth him, that is the Christ, Lord. And whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. So Jesus here brings up the subject that he is the son of David. That means he's human. He's the son of man. He came through human lineage through David. So he's human. But David called him Lord, he's divine. And that's a very important truth, that we accept the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was in fact God in the flesh when he walked among us, and that he was in fact the Son of Man and the Son of God. He referred to himself as the Son of Man 85 times. He only called himself by his proper name once. He only called himself Jesus once. He called himself the Son of Man 85 times. Why? He's identifying with us. All right? And that should be precious to each one of us. All 85 times that we read it, we should say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you know what I'm going through. You know what it's like to be a human. You know what it's like to be tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. And you can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And you can sit at the right hand of the Father today as God, but as a man. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord as He intercedes for us today. He intercedes to us as a man, and he says to the Father that he's sitting to the right of, I know what they're going through. I've been there. I've been tempted. I, I've, I've been weak. Uh, I've been mocked. I've been reviled. I've been physically assaulted. I know what they're going through. He is the man, the son of man, but he is also the God-man. And there's times where he just kind of, I guess movies would call it morphed. You know, he's just walking along the sea, uh, sand by the seashore one day, and he says, I think I'll just walk across the water. Why go all the way around the Sea of Galilee? I've got to get over there. I think I'll just walk across it. And uh, so you see a lot of uh, times like that in the Bible. Where he's the son, and and, and if you don't know this truth, the Bible can be confusing to you. Uh, The cults like to focus on the aspect of him being the son of man, but they they can't reconcile in their minds all the verses that says he's the son of God, or God manifest in the flesh, and so they think it can't be possible that some of you both. But he is. He's the God man, and uh, that's what he's teaching here in verses 35 through 37. Now, on the back of your notes, if you're new, we have Charles Spurgeon. He lived back in the 1800s, and he made comments on some of these verses. On the back, this is what he simply said about verse 37. They could not answer that riddle, but we can. (coughs) We know Jesus is both David's son and David's Lord. That's what David was saying. He's my son. He came through my lineage. I'm his great, 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 whatever grandfather. But he's also my Lord. He's my Lord. He's uh, the human lineage and the divine God. Let's go to our third story now, verses 38 through 40. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes. Now, here we see that most of the scribes were very evil. They should have been godly people, they knew the, the scriptures so well. But you know, Jesus' worst enemies were religious people. And it's the same way it is today. Uh, some of these people in the clergy, clergymen, clergy women, whatever they want to call them, some of them are the greatest enemies Christ has on earth. They're terrible. And here's these religious uh, scribes who live in the temple every day of their life, and they're, they're writing out copies of the Scripture, Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, and, and, uh, and uh, the, uh, the common people heard him gladly, verse 37. Verse 38, he said unto them in his doctrine, beware of the scribes, which love to go in long clothing and love salutation in the marketplaces. Can you just picture that in your mind? Use your imagination. <laughs> God gave you an imagination. These people going through the marketplace, got to go buy some potatoes. But they got to wear their long, flowing, uh, you know, robes there, and they're probably like this. And oh, Reverend, Reverend, yes, yes. yes. I, uh, I'll stop for a moment and just acknowledge your existence. But uh, I'm important, and uh, you know, all these people, Reverend this, Reverend that, right, Reverend, the very right Reverend, and all that nonsense. That word's used once in the Bible. Read it in Psalm 111. It says, "Holy and reverend is His name." I don't let I don't like people calling me reverend. Sometimes they do, you know. But I, if I get the chance and I can correct them, I say I'm a pastor. There's nothing reverend about me. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And anything I am, I am by the grace of God. Period. And uh, holy and reverend is His name. So they love walking around in these long clothes, going through the market, got to get their vegetables or whatever, the, and love salutations. Uh, oh, oh, whatever they called them back then, Rabbi or whatever, uh, and the chief seats in the synagogues. So whenever they were out of town, you know, or if they weren't in Jerusalem, and they had synagogues all over, every town had a synagogue and it pointed towards the temple, and they loved the chief seats in the synagogues, maybe even Moses' seat. they liked to sit in Moses' seat. And the uppermost rooms at feasts, you know, if you've ever been to a wedding and they got maybe a, a platform up in the tables there with the bride and the groom and it's higher than everybody else and all the bridal they, they love being way up there where everybody can see them. Uh, but here's how they really were. They devoured widows' houses and for a pretense made long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. They were equal to lawyers and their knowledge of the scriptures made them respectable in their community. But like the publicans on the Roman side of collections who were bandits... These scribes on the Jewish side of collections were bandits too. They were robbing and devouring widows' houses. Can you imagine that? That's about as low as you can go. When you steal from a widow or you force her to pay a temple tax or something, that's about as bad as it gets. In fact, widows are so important to God that when He he wanted to find a term in the book of James that would define for mankind what pure religion is. It's a word that's not used in the Bible much, but it is a Bible word, religion. It says, pure religion and undefiled before the Father is this. To what? Take care of the widows and the fatherless. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. When the tithes were to be collected in the Old Testament they were to go in three directions to help the Levites, that is, those that were working, uh, doing the uh, offerings and the burnt offerings and all that physical labor that never ended, and to the widows, and to the fatherless, and even the stranger in the gate. Tithes were supposed to support the widows. These guys were stealing from the widows and de- devouring what little they had left. That is, And, then, and, and they're, they're writing out all these laws. They knew it, what God said about widows. And yet, they, these shall receive the greater damnation. Now, Spurgeon has something to say about verses 38 through 40, if you want to flip that over real quick. We often hear foolish people say, you must always preach in love and not say anything against anybody. Jesus did not denounce anybody. Then what about this denunciation of the scribes? Were Jesus here today, he would not be the soft-shelled creature some people want us to be. He had a backbone and a conscience and a heavy right hand, and he brought that hand down like a sledgehammer on hypocrisy and error. And if we would be like Christ, we must be bold and outspoken, They tell us this in order, that we may easily glide through the world and that all may speak well of us. But so did their fathers to the false prophets. Are we to suppose that those of us who preach God's word are going to keep back any part of our testimony because it will bring us into ill repute with the ungodly? God forbid, we live for something higher and nobler than being fed on the breath of Of evil persons. If there is error in high places, if there is vice anywhere, it is the duty of the servant of Christ in his master's name to attack it with all his might. The truth of God must still be spoken, whoever may be offended by it. Well, there you go, Spurgeon. Pretty good stuff. Now at the end of verse 40, he says, therefore, these shall receive greater damnation. He's talking about their judgment. He's talking about them being cast into a lake of fire someday in hell. If you ever thoroughly study the doctrine of hell, you'll find that some will receive greater damnation, and for some, Jesus' words will, will be more tolerable. Did you know Jesus said it would be more tolerable for the Sodomites of Sodom and Gomorrah than for these religious leaders? Because they didn't have anybody in Sodom telling them what was right or wrong. They just became animals and beasts. And that's what all human beings become if there's somebody not to tell them what's right and wrong. Jesus said it's going to be more tolerable for those people of Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and for all, forever, for all of eternity. Just like heaven's going to be different for everybody, in God's kingdom, hell's going to be different for everybody. And these guys are cooked right here, they are in trouble. And I hope some of them maybe repented after the resurrection. Well, let's conclude with the last story of the widow's mites or the widow's two mites. And Jesus, verse 41, sat against the treasury. And beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a poor, certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want. Big difference. Did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Now two mites is about, one mite is about a quarter of a cent, or a penny, two mites is a half a cent. Penny was a day's wages. And... Um, so if you earn $20 an hour and you work 8 hours a day, that's $160. Half of that would be about sixty or $80. And that's what she cast in. Do you think she had could have used that $80? Yeah. In fact, Jesus said she had some wants. But she took... Even in a day that was corrupted, even a day when the temple was being cleansed by Jesus physically, twice he cleansed the temple. She still didn't she still didn't stop giving to God because she because she said I'm giving to God. I don't know what they're going to do with it. They'll be responsible for that, but my responsibility is to give to God whatever they do with it after that. And there's been a lot of crooked stuff done in the name of religion, but I would encourage you to keep giving or, or, or give where you know it's going to be well spent or at least. But, but um, don't quit because there's some Judas Iscariots in the midst or some uh, scribes devouring widows' houses and things like that. Do your part. Do your part. I've been asked that. I've been asked, well, what if the pastor in the church is no good? I said, just do your part. That's all you're going to be responsible for at the judgment day, is doing your part. They'll answer for their part. Pray for them. Now, praise God, verse 41, for the rich who give much. Amen? Boy, that that helps. Praise the Lord. There, There are some rich people who give much. 1 Timothy 6, 9-19. Nine We're not going to turn there for time's sake, but it, 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 it complements those people. That helps. That helps churches today. That helps missionaries today. That helps church planting today. All kinds of missionary projects. That helps the poor today when the rich give much. Praise the Lord for the, those people. Hallelujah! I thank God for them. But there's also that those that appear to give little, but they actually give more to God proportionately. Proportionately, they give more. And the Lord's eyeballing the treasury, and He's watching this, and He stops the whole procedure, the whole procession of people marching by, putting their money, in, and says, "Oh, I gotta make a visual aid here, a little object lesson. I want to show everybody." This widow, I see her heart. She's got some wants in her life, but she's giving up those wants for the work of God. And she's given more than all of you guys who have given out of their abundance. So both, both is good. But it is possible for people who live in poverty to give what they can and it might seem little compared to others, but God is seeing the proportion. In closing, it says in 2 Corinthians 8, and verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How then, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying with us much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. These were those in Macedonia. What a great region that was. Churches like Thessalonica, churches like Philippi, churches like Berea. Very poor. But they heard about the poor in Jerusalem. And they heard Paul was going back there. And it says, beyond their measure, they gave and collected, so that though they were were poor, that those who were even poorer could be blessed. And, and, And God says, I want you to notice the grace on these churches. And it says, and this they did not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. And unto us by the will of God. When we give ourselves to the Lord, He gets this with it. Right there, he gets this with it when we really give ourselves to the Lord, and we try to help others. And that doesn't mean we don't pay our bills and and uh, you know prudently plan for the future. That's all great. That's all biblical. There's a lot in the Bible about finances. But man, alive! Praise God for those who help and those who just don't don't seem to have a lot, but they do what they can. so, that's our Bible study for tonight. And uh, let us close in prayer. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word. And uh, thank You for the wonderful things we see. Lord, maybe there's somebody here like that scribe who's not far from the kingdom of God. And they're in the house of the Lord tonight because they're a seeker. And I pray, O God, that they would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith and believe on the Lord and be saved tonight and not be close but be all the way in Jesus you said I am the door by me if any man enter in he shall be saved and Lord if anybody here has not accepted Christ as their Savior that maybe right now in the quietness of this moment right where they're sitting they would pray to you from their heart and say dear Lord Jesus save me Give me eternal life. And they would believe tonight by faith that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and was buried and rose again. Help us, Lord, we pray with these lessons we've learned to practice them by the grace of God. And now, Lord, we pray over the upcoming days: Seniors Fellowship tomorrow, Men's Breakfast Saturday, Lord's Day Services. Youth rally coming up Friday night. And a church out at Countryside tomorrow night. Thank you, Lord. What a great summer we have enjoyed. Now, Lord, we'll look back at this as the good old days sometime. It's been a wonderful summer. Lord, help us going forward into the fall. Lord, we pray it would be a fruitful season. And now bless this prayer list May we go through it line by line, even those we don't know, and pray about them, pray for them. Dismiss us now with thy blessing, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.